This is the Amazing Education Podcast. Powered by the Ames Community School District, I'm your host, Eric Smith. On today's episode, we are joined by Ames Middle School instructional coach, Eric Ringsby. We're going to have an amazing conversation about the various roles he plays in supporting teachers and how he contributes to a healthy school culture. Eric Ringsby, thank you for being on this episode of the Amazing Education Podcast. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Well, I I really do appreciate um, you coming on this episode, and we're going to talk about your role at Ames Middle School, which is instructional coaching. Yeah. So for one who doesn't necessarily know what um, instructional coaching is or what your role, how how could you describe what that is? Because it's a lot. (laughs) I do know that. I mean, I think essentially maybe uh, just to think about it as like job embedded professional um, development. And um, a lot of the work that I do is is focused on um, having conversations with uh, teachers about uh, their practice and uh, just teaching in general, really with the big outcome of trying to improve um, student learning. Yeah. Well, I am really excited about this episode because, you know, we are in, in an institution of teaching and learning, and I think the work that you do um, in your building, you know, you work with teachers a lot, but it does have a direct impact on students. So I, I have a little bit of a cheat sheet here, and, you know, I have some guiding questions, but I just want to talk through sort of how you work with teachers because it's not just you don't just walk in probably every day and say, okay, I'm going to be doing this today and this is my only role within my building. I mean, there are a lot of different things um, that you do to work with teachers and a lot of it is situational. Yeah, that's correct. And a lot of it's just determined by just, you know, kind of what the focus might be in the building for the year or where some of the teachers' natural interests lie, or, you know, teachers write professional development plans on where they might want to grow. Um, So I really look at it as just, you know, what is the teacher interested in? And I really like, prefer like an asset-based type of approach, like, you know, what are your natural gifts and talents, and how can we utilize these to to grow. So it's almost, sometimes it ends up being kind of like like an inquiry cycle where kind of explore something, or go in and yeah. try it and then reflect on on how it went. So how does like the initial conversations work? Because, you know, as you go through the year, I mean, you're working with a lot of different teachers, a lot of different departments. And so they um, they know who you are. They know how to, how to reach out to you. But how does like that initial inquiry take place? Like if you're working with um, a, a teacher, just walk me through that process. A lot of times it'll start off, I mean, honestly, like kind of like, you know, sometimes I'll just walk around and talk to people. Yeah. And a lot of times, you know, I'll just give an example. Like after like we might have professional development, sometimes that's where I'll follow up and say, hey, we just, you know, went through that professional development. What's coming up for you? Where, you know, how did you process that? What's of interest to you? And and a lot of times that'll lead into, well, I kind of want to explore this. And so we might, you know, essentially it might go into a planning type of conversation. And then uh, there's just different support functions that can happen as a result of that. So, for example, you know, it could be where we collaborate and we work together in the classroom. It could be where 
students in the classroom observing and taking notes or data based off of what, what the teacher would want, or it could even just end up in a reflecting conversation at the end. So yeah. I kind of have, uh, and essentially those are kind of the basic conversations, and I, I kind of utilize those to to work with people. Okay. So I want to go through at least a, a couple of these. These are kind of like big, bold headings as far as areas that you may hit upon um, when working with a teacher or throughout a school year. So if you can kind of maybe talk through um, some of these, maybe provide an example or, or what that really looks like to kind of articulate, you know, just for anyone who's listening on what that might look like, um, we'll kind of just go through some of these. Okay. So one of them says data coach. Data is hugely important. And so what does that conversation look like when working with teachers? You know, it can look a lot. It, 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 it just kind of depends, right? We kind of have like kind of big macro data pieces where we yeah. might have like your Iowa assessment scores, how you did on like our, our local measures, like the measures of academic pro progress. So we kind of have those and then we kind of have uh, just kind of those those classroom level pieces. So most of the time it, it could start off with kind of the big one, but a lot of times it ends up getting more at a at a micro level where we're looking at like an assessment and we're yeah. seeing how kids did. Yeah. And then kind of looking at that data, making some decisions on, okay, this is what went well, or this is what we might need to take a look at and, and, and reteach. And, you know, data is just, you know, it's, it's like what you do with it. So even the information that kids are, are giving you, yeah. you know, as they're talking about that, like, I really enjoyed how you did that. That's data too. Yeah. Yeah, sure. And so it, it can come in a lot of different ways, but a lot of times it's examining kind of a, an assessment or an assignment of something that was given. But you probably find that at least probably in the classroom, that's got to be more valuable than this, you know, macro data. I think so just for the teachers, like in, in real time. And there's just, you know, it's been exciting just to see uh, work that's been done where teachers are getting really specific on yeah. these are the learning targets that I'm looking for. And looking at that data and being responsive. It's even exciting when you hear kids going like, I don't get learning target number three, <laughs> can we work on this? So yeah. I, I think kids are able to advocate for themselves better too, which is exciting. Yeah, for sure. You know, I'm gonna we're gonna keep going through this list, but I, I feel like I before we keep moving forward, teaching is very complicated. Like it is not just showing up into the classroom and then managing however many kids are in that classroom. There, There's a lot going on. I mean, we touched on one of the pieces already, um, the data, but now let's move on to the next one as far as being um, an instructional specialist. So designing and adapting instruction. Yeah. I mean, one of the things that I say is teachers make like thousands of decisions a day. Oh, that's really good. Just yeah. instructionally, like you went and you're like, okay, they made this decision. And so, you know, as an instructional specialist, like there, there are things that we have learned, you know, just as, as a system over the years. Um, but it's really, I don't know, one of the favorite aspects of this job is really just listening to teachers. Well, back when we had like model teacher visits and mm -hmm. you take another teacher like we know this teacher is really good at differentiating let's go watch them to listen to the teachers talk through the decision making why i made that decision and how i made that decision when that becomes like visible to other teachers and it actually even becomes more visible to themselves when they process it and talk yeah. about it because people just kind of do things intuitively because they're pros 
but when we kind of slow down the thinking and we start getting that, it even becomes more apparent as to like why that instructional move worked. And then it's just opportunities like I learn from them talking. Yeah. And then, you know, it's other conversations that I can utilize. Well, you know, I've talked to this particular teacher and, you know, they're they're skilled in this and that and that's just information we can share and we can yeah. get other people collaborating. It's really um, it's really dynamic. I mean, in these conversations, just I, I feel like really illustrate that. Yeah, it's definitely not static and we're always learning new things. And, you know, and it even changes even like, you know, like what I did in first period. You know, for me, I used to always apologize, like, first period, I'm sorry, it's going to get better. So I would, you know, you learn from oh, it I know. each time, and, you know, you kind of refine it. So I always say, like, it's an art, and, and it's a science. And so it's just, you know, one of the things I enjoy is just I love the learning part. When the learning lead, like, I love learning yeah. new stuff, and I love having conversations with others about just new instructional practices uh, that are coming out. What kind of approach do you take with, you know, working with new teachers? And so if you kind of look at kind of like some of the roles there, sometimes that can be more mentoring. So I kind of think of it, you know, depending on the support function, like, you know, kind of a consultant is sometimes like kind of an expert yeah. collaborator, you know, we'll kind of work together. If I'm coaching, really, I just see that as I'm mediating your thinking. So sometimes at the beginning, I might have to do a little bit more consulting. Uh, just because, you know, when you're new and you come into a place, there's there's a lot of things to, to learn yeah. uh, as we're moving. But, you know, as we kind of get deeper into uh, the relationship with coaching, I, I mean, I try to move into where we're more of collaborators uh, and, and coaching as we as we progress. Yeah. That makes sense. You know, everything as an, I mean, teaching is difficult every day, whether, you know, this is your first year or 20th year, you know, I feel like you're learning something new. I mean, I, I, I remember when I was teaching and I would get to a part in a lesson and, you know, you know, a student would have a question. And I just remember reflecting like, I didn't even anticipate that question coming up. You know, I thought that was like the easy part of the learning. And it's just, it was a great reminder that that's not the case for every student. Even if you've done this 20 years, there's going to be students that, I don't know, I think are going to surprise you in really good ways, um, both in the questions that they ask. And I think it keeps those students then also keep you on your toes as far as, oh, I kind of thought I knew this. <laughs> and you realize you don't. <laughs> yeah, it, for sure. And that student perspective, like, yeah, they just, they will bring up things that, yeah, you're right, that you can't uh, anticipate, but it's good. And again, it kind of goes back to that data thing because when yeah. kids give you that information, you know, they might have a better way of, of doing something. So, you know, asking for feedback from, from kids too is really, you know, they're ultimately yeah. the consumers. So uh, it's good to, to get that from them too. Do you offer, um, do you offer, do you have any advice for new teachers? Because I, well, And I just heard you say asking for feedback. I think that's a great piece of advice, you know, for all teachers. But I really do think about like new teachers, like everything is a heavy lift those first couple years, just because like you said, there's thousands of decisions that are made in any given day, and you don't know that until you start living it as a teacher. Yeah. I, I think 
some advice that, that I would give is to really think about like just the structures and routines that you have in your classroom, yeah. meaning just, you know, how do kids enter the room? How do they end the room? And how I kind of think about like a day of planning, a week of planning, because once you kind of get those structures out, it's easier to kind of insert those other things, but to have conversations with people like, how do you organize your week or how do you go about that? So asking questions and taking that and kind of consolidating that into what works for you, because what works for person A doesn't always work for, for person B. We're all wired a little yeah. bit differently, but we can learn from each other. So there's a yeah. piece that, that I can take. And I think that's why those conversations are super important. Like right now, today I'll actually have a meeting with a group of new teachers and we're just kind of talking through things. It's kind of informal, yeah. but that'll be a question that I'll actually ask them today. Hey, what are some of the structures and routines that you have in place <laughs> that are really working well that we can yeah. borrow from, from each other? So, you know, you've been in this role for several years. Do you find that that question-based approach is something that really works well for you. Just knowing that, say, you and I are both, you know, teachers, we could teach the same subject area, but we're going to have different styles. We're going to have different, you know, ways that we interpret things that are happening in the classroom. And then does that get teachers to have sort of like that aha moment in teaching? I think yeah, I think sometimes, I think sometimes, you know, part of what's different about kind of this approach is, you know, I think kind of when I went to school or even when I first started teaching, like your instruction was kind of private. And now even with like in our professional learning communities, like your yeah. teaching's more public. So we're having more conversations about that. And so I think there is more consciousness and awareness. And it's kind of exciting too, because it's yeah. like fun to hear like, wow, that really worked, or I made this change here, and this is what happened. And it's just part of, it's just part of learning, right? Yeah. You know, I kind of think like, you know, doctors in, they're, they're not doing surgery the same way they did in 1970, but they're <laughs> right, doing yeah. now, you know, so it's, again, it's that dynamic, and we can learn from each other, and it's fun. Do you pop into classrooms? Yes. And what do you look for? Like when you're just and there could be, I mean, there's probably hundreds of things that you could see, but are there certain things that, that you sort of gravitate to, to looking at? Oh, I don't know. I'll be honest. I kind of gravitate to where, like, if there's laughter or I hear, you know, they're, they're having fun, like, that kind of pulls me in. Yeah. I also, and I know this sounds, I, I really enjoy just hearing, you know, like, when it's kind of the focus lesson part and the mm -hmm. teacher's really just sharing that part. I love listening to that. I also like watching teachers work with small groups of kids yeah. and just to listen to like, what are the prompts and questions and cues yeah. that they're asking? Cause I just, I end up learning a lot from just watching and, and listening. Yeah, I bet. I, I appreciate the way you, you articulated those things. Cause if we put ourselves in, you know, students shoes, there can't just be one style of teaching that they take throughout the day. You know, you talked about there's the structured part of it. Great. That's great. That's not sustainable all day. There's the small group part, which is also great. That's not sustainable all day. You know, so you need these increments of different styles of teaching. For sure. I, I like to use the term spurts of instruction. Yeah. Because if you're like me, like I, I'm, I, I kind of have about a seven to eight minute attention span. We all do. So 
you know, just keeping that pace and keeping it movement. And it's not always necessarily like I got to get up and out of my seat. It might be like I asked a question, turn and talk to your partner. What do you think about that? Or there was another, I uh, was in a room the other day and the teacher had the kids walking up and moving and answering questions like with a partner. So they yeah. weren't sitting in their seats. Because yep. if you're like me, like I have trouble sitting for a long time, I yeah. got to get up and move. Or I can think of a teacher that used to do brain breaks. All right, stand up, and we're going to do this. And the kids just, yeah. you know, it was kind of fun and silly, but it got them, it got them moving. But but you're right, changing that the pace and changing just kind of what you're doing really keeps kids engaged. But that's a huge thing that we do need to think about, you know, at the district level, at the building level, and particularly at the classroom level. School has to be fun. I mean, it has to like fun is engaging, and we need students. To be engaged. Yeah. There's a book that I remember reading in college called The Thread That Runs So True. And the thread that runs so true was fun. Yeah. Making it fun. And I think it's also utilizing just like the funds of knowledge that that, that kids bring to the table. Because kids, you know, they can they can make connections to lots of things. And it's fun to be innovative to try to find those ways that 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 connected in ways that kids can understand, yeah. whether it's a metaphor or whether it's a story or an analogy. So um, we'll keep going through our list. Sure. I mean, keep touching on a couple of them. But one of the things um, around being a learning facilitator, and it really focuses on building capacity in others. I feel like that's kind of your mission, just having talked to you. It is. I really feel strongly for that and like capacity and like others and in, and in systems too. Yeah. You know, part of that learning facilitator piece is just trying to create a space where we can just have dialogue. And dialogue is great because we can just process something. It's not necessarily I need to come to a conclusion. Yeah. And part of this, like it's okay if we don't have closure for everything. Sure. Um, but just facilitating, I always say we got carving new neural pathways. Like how do we, how do we learn yeah. new stuff? And it's just, you know, uh, I've learned a lot through um, adaptive schools so I've taken cognitive coaching and adaptive schools is more about working with groups and so it's just about like how do you structure that learning uh, in ways that people can have meaningful conversations and we can get lots of voices yeah uh, in the room and you know that's been a fun part of my job too that collaboration because it's a skill collaborating is a skill yeah oh 100 <laughs> percent for adults and students absolutely it no it is <laughs> It certainly is. It's, but it's hugely valuable. I mean, I find um, productive collaboration keeps me more motivated. Just as, as an adult, I can't, you know, having that in the classroom with students and if students are feeling that connection to that classroom, that can only have positive outcomes. For sure. You know, when I think about that collaborating piece, like with teachers, mm -hmm. like one of the best things I can do is just listen. Yeah. Listen intently, like everyone wants to be listened to. And listening to skill, something I'm still working on, trying yeah. to improve. Um, you know, that paraphrasing piece, just reflecting back what someone said, because uh, it's not about like me trying to disseminate knowledge. A lot of times it's just about making space for someone to process. And once yeah. we talk, like we learn a lot. Yeah. You know, the, 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 sh the, the, the cognitive shift will will sometimes happen just through that conversation. So I know that, um, you know, we had talked about you asking questions and I get that, but you also help provide resources to teachers. You probably 
I don't want to say you do. I mean, you can say whether you do or not, but do you pro provide suggestions on techniques that you've learned, you know, throughout the years? Yeah, I try to listen to just kind of where teachers' interests are. Yeah. And then I sometimes will try to go search for those things. So, okay. like, I'll just give you an example. Like, I'm really interested in, like, these thinking routines from Harvard's Project Zero, and they're just kind of little simple structures that we can put that, again, create space for kids to process things and they're they're again they're short and they're instructional routines that yeah. can work um you know so that might be an example of something that that i would share or it could be you know i'm trying to figure out what the best way might be to you know make my schedule for the week or to organize my guided groups or my small groups things like that those might be resources so i try to listen to um what the teachers are sharing and yeah. then Go and investigate. You know, I know that, and, and I've, I've taught, I've been in the classroom. You know, you, you pick up tips and tricks in the classroom that work, but honestly, the more that you and I are just kind of talking through this, the, the amount and level of planning, or at least things that teachers need to think about, really is phenomenal. I mean, I just, I'm going to recap what I just heard you talking about, is there's not only planning for, all right, this class but then how to differentiate it between that class, how to facilitate these small groups while also facilitating small groups that may be happening over in that part of the classroom. Yeah, yeah, it, it is a lot to think through. And um, again, and, and what's cool is like, you know, those things happen, but everybody kind of does it a little bit different. Yeah. And um, that's what I enjoy watching it's people will structure it so there's that's cool because it's not like there is the way no but right there are lots of ways um to go about it we talked um just before this actually you had me had me read a passage and we were talking about context and understanding and so um so i'll just describe what you had had me do i read this paragraph is probably eight, nine, 10 sentences. And I had no idea what it was about. And so I'm reading it and I'm trying to make connections on what I think it's about, but I really didn't. And then after I read it, you told me what that passage was about and I reread it. And it was actually a very um, interesting experience for me because I couldn't stop the images from coming into my mind. I was instantly making connections. So how would you use something like that, like when working with teachers? I think it just illustrates the power of just like language, right? Yeah. And so sometimes even just when you can take something and you can give it just, boom, a label or a word that goes with it, it it can bring some some clarity to that. So I don't know, in terms of, of, of working with, so that would probably be more of an example of sometime where I'm like facilitating a learning yeah. and we're trying to bring that up. Cause sometimes I think it's good just to do that perspective taking. And those are sometimes questions that I ask, like what might the students say? And that really kind of put you, for example, in like kind of the student's perspective yep. where, ooh, this is new stuff and I haven't seen it before. Or even thinking of, you know, what might a parent say? Or if somebody came yeah. in, what might, you know, your administrator say if we came in during that part? So some of that perspective taking uh, is good. So I guess in just facilitating that, sometimes some if it's experiential, yeah, it makes for good conversation. We yeah. can process kind of what went on. And a question I like to ask is like, we just did that. What's coming up for you? Yeah. 
because that just leaves lots of space for for thinking. It was really cool when when essentially you did that to me. I mean, it was I didn't see that coming, um, and so that's that's really interesting. What's challenging you right now? Like, what are you particularly enjoying? Don't say COVID. Let's try to stick to teaching and learning a little bit. Um, COVID is, you know, the overarching thing, you know, when all of our buildings and really all schools across um, the country and in Iowa and, and continuing to manage, you know, some of those logistics. But what about like teaching and learning right now? Are you particularly, you know, learning more about, interested in, challenging you? Sure. I would say a couple of things. I think one thing I just want to point out from last year was like when we were in hybrid, teachers learned a lot. Yeah. Oh, I bet. They yeah. learned a lot. So I think one of our challenges is like now that we're kind of back in person, what mm -hmm. are some things that I can take from there that worked really well? Yeah. You know, because maybe it was just a short video that I'd made that I'd posted to Google Classroom, you know. So now I'm kind of thinking yeah. through like now that I got everybody here, are there ways that I can can use that. And so I think teachers craftsmanship is just awesome to see how that just, how it just, I mean, we had to adapt, we had to change. So it yeah. really showed just how adaptive our teachers are. And just like we learned a lot about even yeah. technology last year, new tools and things that like, you know, how kids can annotate online. So I think, I don't want to say that's a challenge, uh, but it's just something I think teachers are thinking about this year yeah. now that we're back in person. Um, but what I've really been interested in is I've really been interested in like reading comprehension, specifically like just the science of reading movement okay. and just really thinking like how do kids manage complex text yeah. and what can we do uh, to support them? As I had mentioned, you know, as they get older, the sentences get longer yeah. and the words get more complex and... You know, we've got, you know, this sentence has got an independent clause and a dependent clause, and it's got a phrase, and how do we kind of unravel that? Um, so that's really where I've been, where my interest has, has lied. And so even kind of that example that you and I were talking about earlier, even that background knowledge piece, like how does that matter when I, when I come in as a reader? And then even looking to how that flows into writing um, has been of interest. So there's, there's lots of got a pile of books right now and uh and the fun thing is too and i should say this just like working with the other coaches too like they coach me all the time yeah. over the years and the conversation so i've just learned so much from the teacher leaders that i've worked with and the yeah. other coaches so we process and and learn a lot well i love every part of it i love your um, enthusiasm around it and wanting to continually learn. And I know that is evidenced in, in many of our teachers and staff across the district. Sure. And so I just, um, I appreciate you coming on this episode just so we can talk about that because, you know, I don't do always a ton of episodes that, you know, have a really huge impact on the classroom. And so I just appreciate um, you coming on and offering your perspective. Well, thanks for having me. And yeah, I think it's just good to to illustrate that teaching is, it's complex. Yeah. And again, I'll just say it, teachers make thousands of decisions a day. And it's just, sometimes it's good just to slow down and, and process what some of those decisions are because they're doing amazing things. All right. Well, with that, I think we're going to come to a close on this episode of the Amazing Education Podcast. If you are listening and liked what you hear, please share it with others and we will return for another episode soon. Thank you, Eric. Thank you.